Introducing From the Glove Box, an automotive podcast with Mike and Tony Tavage, the father-son team and owners of Team T Automotive in Northern Indiana. On this episode, we talk about the worst cars of all time, preventative maintenance, and inspection results. Hey, hello, everybody. This is uh, episode four of... from the glove box. I got to get used to saying that. This is Mike and Tony Tadich. We're uh, independent shop owners in Northern Indiana. We bring you this uh, podcast on a regular basis and just talk about car stuff, uh, current stuff, uh, favorites, uh, least favorites, uh, all those types of things. But a little bit about us. We're a father and son team uh, that operate uh, shops in Northern Indiana. Um, and uh, we love automobiles, so we love uh, taking care of our clients, uh, working on cars, but uh, we also love uh, old cars, new cars, and everything there is about uh, American cars. So, so uh, Tony, got anything going on today you want to talk about? No, <laughs> not heavily. <laughs> We're going to talk about a bunch of uh, horrible cars, I think. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, I guess without further ado, we were talking about different things and on our past podcasts, what we've talked about, our favorite cars, movie cars, all those types of things. And we thought about this. Think about this, America. What is the worst car that you ever have owned? The worst car. So before we get into the, maybe the top 10 list, um, Tony, worst car that you ever owned? I think one comes to mind, but um, that I've ever owned, yeah, like personally I, myself, personally yourself, in your marriage, whatever. So I think of maybe due one. to abuse or just the worst car well, made. <laughs> let's just, let's not say abuse because that's that's we can't uh, we can't pin that on a manufacturer. We're talking about uh, a, a product that you bought that just wasn't the best car that you owned. Um. I don't know that I've owned a bad car. I've owned a uh, painful car that was a 1997 Z28 Camaro with an LT1, but I like the car. But there's another one that you owned earlier in your marriage. A Chrysler Pacifica. There you go. Yeah, that was a piece of work. <laughs> so, why weren't you fond of that car? It was great for the time period that I was in in life, but it was horrible for maintenance. The The only thing that was positive of that car is it was early enough that it had a Mercedes engine in it versus the Chrysler engine. If it would have been later and had the Chrysler engine, it would have been even a bigger pile of junk than what it actually was. Yeah. So who, how many people out there know that uh, Mercedes actually built some engines for Chrysler in some of those days? Yeah. Uh, and there's still some mixture of brands yeah, for sure that 2004 way. 2004 Chrysler Pacifica. Yeah. I remember it had navigation in it and then it was probably seven or eight years old and it had outdated maps. And I went to the Chrysler dealer to see what the DVDs would cost uh, for the navigation. So wait, let's back up. So it didn't automatically download uh, no. from from outer space. It actually made you put in a DVD yeah, and, to update the map. So And they wanted $1,800 for the DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty expensive uh, uh, Rand McNally, I yeah. think. Uh, that's an old map for, uh, for any of you youngsters out there. But but, uh, yeah, $1,800 just to get the DVD. and But, yeah, so for me, gosh, um, 
trying to think of younger uh, years or trucks that uh, cars or trucks we had. You know, I actually usually chose pretty good. I I married my wife. Uh, and she was driving a Ford Granada Ghia, um, I think in the seventies. So that was a interesting car. It was you uh, married my mom that owned a Ford product. Yeah, I did because her dad bought her that car and stuff. So, um, but uh, light blue. Uh, problem with those cars and the paint jobs back then is because the the light blue and the sun didn't react very well together, so it became like a chalk paint uh, job. So you would never lean up against that car in a black pair of pants or something because it the finish was pretty chalky. <laughs> I had a customer that painted their car in chalk paint one time. Yeah, that does happen also and stuff. So so let's think about uh, think about cars. Uh, everybody out there, uh, the worst one you've owned, because uh, we always have that favorite and stuff, but we have those worst one. And there's some that came to mind when we were talking about this. I mean, um, you know, the Ford Pinto was one of the biggest known cars. It was one of the, you know, uh, probably in early 70s, um, entering into the small car, car market for Ford. Um, for those of you youngsters, if you've ever seen the movie Wayne's World, that's the blue car with the flames on it. Yeah. So most people my age don't know what a Ford Pinto is. And the, and the flame paint job was an oxymoron because the gas tank was located in the back. So if you got it a rear end collision in that automobile, it burst into flames. But if you now, own the Pinto, you wanted to make sure it had the bubble window. Now, yeah. I did have a buddy of mine from Chicago that had a 1976 Pinto Squire wagon. So little two-door wagon with uh, nothing, no back windows other than this little bubble window. And it was uh, uh, quite an interesting automobile. But uh, I think of uh, maybe the Chevy Chevette. I remember uh, many, many years ago in my early automotive career, they made a diesel Chevy Chevette with an automatic transmission. And I swear to God, uh, anybody probably 50 or younger could outrun that car out, out of a stop sign, yeah, from a stop sign. No, my, no question. I just found out my kid's godparent, uh, godfather owned a Chevette. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure his pickup line was, hey, I got a vet. It's a she-vet. Yep. <laughs> that, that was the old line. So those are uh, those were when a lot of the manufacturers in the uh, you know, 70s and 80s started entering into the small car market and, you know, what they were, uh, what they were bringing along and stuff. So, um, What about some modern piles of crap? Well, I'm looking at this top 10 list here, um, and I don't know if it's a particular order. I looked at a couple of them just to see what the, you know, our friends out in Google stated, but... Uh, one of them was uh, um, I don't I don't even know if I remember this, but in the mid '80s, Lee Iacocca, the uh, guy that really turned Chrysler around, had a uh, called car called a Chrysler TC by Maserati. Um, that just sounds like a horrible <laughs> concoction. Yeah, it's uh, um, it's it's a probably a prelude to the Chrysler uh, Sebring style car. But well, uh, that was a pile of crap by itself. <laughs> yeah, that was. Um, I know it. I know this is going to break some of your hearts out there. Uh, but you Ford Mustang lovers, 
One of them to hit the list was about a 77 to 79 run of the Mustang II, which is this little version of a T-top. Um, Basically a Ford Escort with a Mustang badge on it. I think it really was a Pinto that they kind of uh, gingered up and made it look a little prettier and stuff. But um, it was such a... Um, negativity. Thank God for we're kind of uh, Chevy Camaro lovers and stuff. Thank God Chevy Camaro and you know Chevrolet didn't go this weird route and build this odd little uh, uh, fun, uh, funny, weird looking car and stuff. Because you know Ford has obviously turned that around and built some pretty nice Mustangs, but that one was not their best. Uh, that was their first run at putting a four cylinder in one. Yeah, it was a four cylinder, and it yeah. was not what we'd call one of Ford's better ideas. Um, anyhow, those are all cool things. Uh, um, I was sharing with the family. There's a new, newer show on TV right now called the American auto. It's a kind of a, a sitcom, uh, about, uh, American car manufacturers and stuff. So it's a cool thing to see, but it is really amazing how, uh, we make all these different cars. We have all these different manufacturers that come about and, uh, um, you know, sprout up and, and build these unique cars. And, and inevitably, there's going to be a couple duds in those. Uh, yeah. And I think that's what we see right now with that. And, and we have all sorts of different ones. I mean, there's uh, different trim packages that they put on cars that just make them weird and odd looking and all that stuff. So, uh, but anyhow, it's uh, ingenuity. It's uh, what Americans like to do. They like to make unique uh, automobiles. A lot of people like to make very unique automobiles after the manufacturer made them. So we see a lot of cool things there. But this segment was just a little bit about uh, what a lot of people consider the top 10 worst cars. Hey, Mike and Tony. A term I've been hearing is preventative maintenance. So what really is that? Love the show. Thanks. So if I think I understood the caller correct, Tony, um, it's like I I bring my car into my local shop, my trusted mechanics, whatever, um, and I, you know, bring it in for an oil change or general maintenance and stuff. But it's that preventative maintenance. Why do every time I come in, they're talking to me about preventative maintenance. Um, you know, could be flushes, tire rotations, could be a whole bunch of different things. But I think the caller really wants to know, you know, am I getting scammed? Um, or is that something really legit? And what's that all about? So I think uh, with this segment, we'll chat this out a little bit, Tony. All right. So I think it does start with the word, is uh, the fir- very first word of it, which is? Preventative. What does preventative mean? Basically means that you need to execute something to keep something else from happening. Okay. So let's take the medical field. Um, I always tease, but every time I go to my doctor, he says, uh, I need to eat better. I need to drink less. I need to exercise more. Um, I need to watch my cholesterol. Um, Shout out to Doc Buck. Yeah, it is. That's a good good dude there. So, uh, but uh, Doc shares with those with me not to be mean because he's a friend of mine, but it's preventative maintenance for the human body. So if we spin that and equate that to what uh, what that means in the automobile business, I mean, what does that mean, Tony? You know, a lot of a lot of people in in the thing that I hear a lot from people is, oh, I had a car one time and I drove it to 150,000 miles and I never did anything but put tires on it and change the brakes a couple times. 
And it's like, yeah, you, you might've done that on that vehicle. And at that point in time, depends on your driving habits, depends on the climate, depends on the vehicle and depends on you, how you use the vehicle. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the car was in its tip tops, most safe and reliable state at that point in time at 150,000 miles with no maintenance ever having been done to it. It doesn't also mean that another car of that same brand, same make, same package, same everything wouldn't have had a failure at 120,000 miles. Um, a lot of people are very, very good at changing engine oil. However, people lately have started to get worse with changing engine oil with manufacturers extending oil change intervals, which is a whole different conversation. Um, but is, is people change oil, they forget about the seven, eight other fluids in the vehicle. They forget about performing an annual alignment every 12,000 miles or every year, especially so if let's, you live let's in a play pothole a quick, state. Let's play a quick game. You name another fluid other than oil in a car, and I'll name one. Let's, let's get through a few of them. Name one. Transmission fluid. Transmission fluid. All right. Uh, cooling system. Uh, antifreeze, it's another name for them, but it's what keeps the engine uh, uh, cool, uh, cool during the summer and uh, keeps it from freezing and running well during the winter. Brake fluid. Brake fluid. So fluid that runs through your brake system. Um, not every car has this anymore, but uh, a lot of them still do, which is power steering fluid. Differential fluid. So differential. Uh, what does that really mean? Uh, what does differential mean? I don't even know what that term means. I do, but let's share with the people. Your differential fluid basically runs your axles. It it keeps everything uh, moving at the uh, at the bottom of the car um, and stuff. I'm trying to think of the layman term side of it. So a lot of trucks uh, obviously have differentials. A lot of uh, all wheel drive vehicles have differentials, but it's it's that power component um, at the back wheels or the front wheels. Not all not all not all cars have both of those if they're all wheel drives, but um, most do. But it's what drives the power. It's another it's another form that puts power to the tires. Um, so there can be cars with a front differential and a rear differential, or there could be an uh, an SUV that uses the front wheel drive style setup, which the, yep. which is a transmission, transmission in the front with a differential in the back. So um, there's another component that links with those in some vehicles called a transfer case. What does that mean? Transfer case basically takes the power and transfers it out to the front and the rear axle in an all-wheel drive or a four-wheel drive vehicle. So that way you can link up your drive shafts to get to two axles instead of just running the transmission right to one axle. So, and what Tony's explaining to you, which is true, is if you have a front-wheel drive car, that means just the front two tires or wheels propel the vehicle. Or you have a rear-wheel drive vehicle and the rear two do that. A transfer case... Uh, transfers that power to two or four wheels all at the same time. So it's usually a couple quarts of fluid or less. It's a small uh, little item and stuff. But uh, I think what Tony's hitting on with these is everybody remembers, hey, I need to change my oil change, do my oil at 3,000, 5,000 miles, whatever. But there's all these other fluids in cars. We even missed a few. Um, but there's these other fluids that name need to change periodically, not every three or 5,000 miles, but in a, in, uh, interval. And we always have this debate too, Tony, uh, people say, well, what's the manufacturer's recommended interval? What's good about that? And what's bad about that? 
Well, first of all, which manufacturer? Fluid manufacturer or the vehicle manufacturer? <laughs> that's that's very true. So, um, so fluid and and fluid manufacturers have a different standard than vehicle manufacturers. So there have been some companies, uh, car building companies, that have said this fluid is uh, lubed for life. It's a lifetime fluid. Is that true? It'll last forever, Tony? There is no lifetime fluid in a vehicle. Why isn't that true? It says it right in my BMW manual. Well, in BMW, you kind of started that stuff with the 2006 X5. Um, they had the lifetime transmission fluid in that. That lifetime transmission fluid to us today is known as DEX-6 and is stated by fluid manufacturers that it's only good for 30,000 miles. So the thing with the lifetime fluid craze is what does lifetime actually mean? And to most vehicle manufacturers, the life of the vehicle means the life of the warranty period. So if it's got a five-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty on it, they consider that to be the life of the vehicle at that point in time. They don't think that you're going, they don't want you to drive the vehicle to two, three, four hundred thousand miles that most vehicles are capable of going to with preventative maintenance. That's a very valid statement. I mean, this uh, um, lifetime fluid usually covers the time that some something's under warranty, but it doesn't mean it's going to last forever. Really, name me one uh, fluid in the world that lasts forever. I mean, water evaporates, all the other things do. So fluids become problems in vehicles as well, whether they're driven a lot of miles or a very little amount of miles. So, Well, and what's the number one killer of fluid? Heat. Yep. So the, the heating and the cooling cycle of the fluid creates what's called thermal breakdown. I'm not a chemist by any means. I've watched a couple <laughs> Castrol commercials, but, you know, thermal breakdown causes that fluid to break down in, in, in a lot of other fluids can cause it to even uh, increase its water percentage and can cause other things to happen. And he's not a chemist. I attempted to help him uh, pay for further education after high school and we, we weren't totally successful on that. We were in a life side, maybe not at the college <laughs> side. <laughs> college isn't for everybody. Whole another subject also. <laughs> yeah, there, there we go. But uh, that's just a little bit on some of the preventative maintenance that we have. Um, but there's, there's a lot of these things that are really well recommended. It'll make a vehicle last forever. Think of this last piece. I'll leave you with this point. Um, when you go to an independent service centers like the one that we run and a lot of our friends in the, in the United States, um, we only uh, maintain cars and make them last for as long as you want to drive them. Um, one of our uh, oldest mechanics at one of our shops has a Jeep he was working on over the weekend, I think 325,000 miles on this thing. Um, it, they can last a long time. So Unlike a dealership, and no disrespect, there's great dealerships, but we're not in the business to sell you a new car. Um, that's not what we're, all, what, what we're all about. If you like the way a new car looks, smells, drives, then go buy one. But if you want to take your 2015 uh, Chevy Tahoe or you know 2014 Jeep Cherokee and make it last three, 400,000 miles, uh, shops like ours can help you get to that point. That's what preventative maintenance is. And uh, Tony, you got a final bit on this? Yeah. The, the one thing I want you to remember, too, is a lot of preventative maintenance is in the eyes of the person recommending it. So just because your shop is recommending it doesn't necessarily mean that they're trying to rip you off or trying to upsell you or do anything that way. And just because maybe you went to a shop before this shop 
that didn't recommend that doesn't mean that they were doing anything wrong either. It's in the eye and the education of the technician in the shop that you're dealing with. So there are some shops like ours that like to be highly trained and highly uh, technical um, and go to school and look at those type of things and recommend those things. Um, and, and it's also remember too, just because the vehicle that you have now requires something doesn't mean that it's wrong that the vehicle that you had before didn't require that. So a lot of people I think get confused is, well, my car never re recommended to have brake fluid flushed before. Well, that's because your car now is an all-wheel drive vehicle and the all-wheel drive unit pulses the brakes every time you go around a corner. So now you need your brake fluid flushed every 15,000 miles. Um, in, uh, I think that I think preventative maintenance is the area where a lot of customers get concerned that they're getting ripped off by their their shop. And and I want people to truly understand that that it is not that. I tell people all the time, I could care less if you fix a car. I could care less if you want to go get a new car. I'm here to try to make the car last and to try to give you an unbiased opinion of what's going on with the vehicle and make it last to whatever you want it to last for. If you're leasing it, that's fine. If you want it to last 200,000 miles, I know how to do that too. Well, we beat the heck out of this question, but uh, that, that's a very valid point. I'll leave you with this minor tip. If you, you're not buying a transmission service for $250, you're buying a $5,000 transmission that does not fail prematurely. So we'll leave you with that at this segment. All right, we're back here from the glove box. And here's a topic of debate is when you get your inspection from your local shop, whether it's digitally or still on a piece of paper, and it comes across to a customer as green, yellow, and red. Um, so why is it worked green, yellow, and red? And I'll give you a quick thing. Most of us know green, yellow, and red for one thing. What is that, Tony? Uh, green means go, yellow means accelerate harder, and red means stop. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, uh, yeah, so we know it from the, the traffic signal, green, yellow, and red. And and Tony is right, uh, you know, we all, you know, won't, won't think twice about a green light, may look through that intersection, yellow, um, you know, we have to all be honest with ourselves, so dig down and put up your honest uh, right hand and swear that you're going to tell the truth. We usually accelerate at a yellow light so we can get through that. Um, red means stop, obviously. So when you get your digital inspection or your uh, your uh, paper inspection from your local shop and it's shared with this uh, green, yellow, and red, Tony, uh, share with me a couple pieces, uh, you know, how we look at it or how we would share it with our customers. Well, green obviously means that the point has passed. So if if it's marked green, it's in good shape, it's good to go. In our shops, we may still attach a picture to a green point just because we want to show you that, yes, this tire does still measure good, or, yes, this air filter is still white and pristine and clean. So you said back up a minute because maybe some people get these, some don't. What does attach, attach a picture mean? So in, in our shops and a lot of modern shops uh, in today's society, we do what's called a digital inspection report. So we will actually take a live photo of your vehicle in, in, in our shop, in our bay, on our hoist, and send that to you digitally before we call you or talk to you about your car. So you can see what's going on with your car, and you can understand what 
problems it may have, what good things it has going on, and what things may be something for the future. So would this just be a um, picture off of, uh, you know, uh, Shutter? What is it? What's the thing on on the Google? <laughs> 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 See, that's it is where we not get a canned photo. It's not a canned photo. That's what we're getting at. It's a photo of your vehicle. Okay. Now, so, I will say there are manufacturers and in, in dealerships that are doing stuff with canned photos that I have seen um, and stuff. That is not how most of the aftermarket industry does it. Okay. So I'm getting a real live photo of yes. my vehicle, of that particular component. In fact, I talk to my guys all the time. I talked to them this morning. I want you to take a picture of the brake lights because when we take a picture of the brake lights and the brake lights being on, number one, as a consumer, you can never look at your own brake lights because you can't be pressing the brake pedal and behind the car at the same time. It's physically impossible. It'd be really fast if you could do that. Yeah. yeah. Used to be this thing called Stretch Armstrong that might be able to pull that <laughs> off. Possibly. Um, or Elastigirl from The Incredibles for you uh, younger folks. There you so, go. <laughs> um, you can tell I have young kids. Uh, so... When we do that, we take the picture of the brake lights. It shows your vehicle in my bay, on my hoist, your license plate, the tag for the year that your license plate is, so you know it's a current photo and not the photo from last year. Um, or you can see that you got an expired plate. We had that come up one time. I didn't realize <laughs> my plates were expired. Um, and, and it just shows everything live there. So a lot of consumers don't believe those photos when they see them until they see that picture. Yeah. So one of the things that I see a lot in our shops, too, which, uh, so somebody will receive this digital inspection, and I'll see them text back into the shop, and they'll say, how much is it to fix all the reds, um, which is what you know that technician, that advisor has recommended that the car needs. Um, and those reds, like in the inspection that we use, red points are considered urgent points versus yellow points are considered non-urgent points. So when we try to rank things, we also have to be cognizant of the fact of if I tell you it's not urgent, you're more likely to not fix it at that point in time. You're more likely to put it off. So as we rank things of importance level, that, that has to come into play also. I have friends that have shops that will rank things of an importance level from 1 to 10. I think that that gets a little too confusing at times to consumers when we're grading it as, oh, it's a 7 on a scale of 1 to 10 with 10 being the worst and 1 being the best. Um, so we try to go in and we try to simplify it to where we'll put things in the red to where you know, okay, this, this thing needs attention and needs attention as immediately as you can. Um, a lot of times with consumers also or, or clients, we will go in and we'll, we'll really explain to them, you know, this is the total picture of the vehicle. What do you have budgeted for your repairs at this point in time? So then we can go back to that list of reds and yellows and I can say, all right, this red point is, is problem number one that we need to tackle. This red point is problem number two. This is problem number three and this is problem number four. Your budget is going to allow us to repair one and two at this point in time. We're going to have to know that three and four are coming down the pike. The last thing with reds that we always try to do is we rank safety items the highest. So if it is an item that is going to fail and cause you an accident, cause you to careen off the road, cause you any type of grief that way, the wheel to fall off, the brakes not to work, that type of stuff, we're going to rank that the most important. Um, and then we're going to rank uh, uh, maintenance beyond that um, because maintenance isn't going to outweigh a safety concern. 
So if if you need brakes and your coolant needs flushed also, flushing the coolant's not more important than replacing the brakes. The coolant's not going to kill you. The brakes will kill you. Yeah. So all good points. If we can kind of simplify this or really uh, help you, you know, digest this at your local shop, um, it's a bit, it's a really good way to communicate between the technician and the shop with the client and let them know. We don't want to send you this crazy medical report that absolutely nobody, even with a PhD, can read. We want to make it clean, simple, and and good recommendations. And then you as a consumer got to figure out, am I that consumer that doesn't fix anything till it's broken? Am I somewhere in the middle and I do some maintenance? Or am I a really preventative maintenance person and I want everything really precise in my life? And I would, I would suggest when you go to your local shops that you really honestly explain that to them. Um, and I, most shops will adjust and help you accordingly to the way you prefer to maintain a vehicle and they'll give their give you their suggestions as well so that's a little tips uh today on our uh red yellow and green uh ways of communicating what's uh what's needed on your automobiles hey this is uh father and son team mike and tony tadich uh just want to thank you for hanging out with us again today. So you got anything to wrap up, Tony? It's uh, uh, shutting the glove box time. So we'll see you next time on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Make sure you're here for our next one. Have a question for Mike and Tony? Call it in at 888-201-0858. This podcast is brought to you by TMT Automotive and Momentum Drives Marketing.